<clears throat> Last week, we started our Easter series. Um, you will see um, it's, it's based on uh, 1 Corinthians ch- uh, chapter 15, where it talks about the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ, and that's our theme. Um, this is Palm Sunday. Uh, traditionally, Palm Sunday is the beginning of what many people know as the Passion Week, all the events leading up to the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. Uh, It was on this day thousands of years ago that people celebrated and shouted the name of Christ. It was on this day that Jesus rode into Jerusalem on a donkey that had never been ridden and actually has a tie to the burial that we're going to talk about this morning. Um, And so it was an important day. But let's remember that the same people, some of the same people who were shouting his praises on, on uh, Sunday were later in the week the same people that were crying crucify him because uh, he wasn't what they thought. And so um, you see that story. You see, you'll see in the next, this week and next week, uh, we're going to try to do what we can to remind you of the story. So uh, you see behind me the cross representing the death of Jesus Christ. You see behind me a black box representing the burial. And then we'll add another one next week. All right. And hopefully it'll be reminders to you. If somebody you bring somebody and they go, what are the three boxes on it? You you can tell them the story. Okay. Um, This morning we want to look at 1 Corinthians chapter 15. This is Paul speaking. And here's what he says. He says, moreover, brethren, I declare to you the gospel, which I preach to you. So here's the gospel. You want to know what the gospel is? Here it is. Which you received in which you stand, which you are saved, if you hold fast the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. He goes on to define the gospel for us, and here it is. He says, I delivered unto you, first of all, that which I also received, that Christ died for our sins, according to the scriptures. If you weren't here last week, let me encourage you to go online Get a CD, listen to the message so you understand when we talk about the death of Jesus Christ, what that really represented. That he, was, that he died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried, we're going to talk about this this morning, and then that he rose again the third day according to the scriptures. We will talk about that next week. So before we get started, let's talk about burial in the Old Testament time and in the New Testament time. Um, <clears throat> burial in the Old Testament time uh, was something that was very important to Jewish people. Um, what they would often do is they would, um, the burial, first of all, they would, the, you have to understand the burial usually was local. So in other words, um, it needed to be someplace close to where you lived. That was important. Um, often it was associated with your family. Um, and what they would do is they would have a, kind of a family tomb, if you will. In the Old Testament time, what it involved was, it involved, usually it was carved into the side of a mountain or a hill that was made out of lime, usually limestone. Um, They would carve it out, and it had a shelf in it. It would have a shelf in which a body could be laid. In the Old Testament time, what they would do is they would take the body, they would put it on the shelf, um, And then they would put a stone in front of it. Then what would happen is, after a certain period of time, they would move the stone away and they would go back in. And they would scoop up the bones of of the person that had died. 
and they would throw them usually under the shelf. So if you read in the Bible about he was buried with the bones of his father, that was literal. Because what it would mean is, for instance, my dad, when my dad died, we would have put his body on a shelf. After it had decomposed, somebody in the family would have moved the stone away, gone in, taken my dad's bones and thrown them under the shelf. And then when I died, my would go and be laid on the shelf. And then when, I, when my body decomposed, they would go in and scoop up those bones. And they would throw those bones under the shelf too. So literally it would be, my was with the bones of my father. Um, that was the Old Testament idea. By the way, that's why Joseph, it was so important that his bones be carried back. Um, so you see that in the Old Testament. By the time we get to the New Testament idea, um, <clears throat> it had refined itself a little bit. So by the time you get to the New Testament area, what they would do is they had... First of all, the, the, the caves and the things were much, much bigger now. Uh, they would usually have two areas in the caves now. Now they would have an area where a body was prepared. And then they would have shelves, not just one shelf, but a lot of times many shelves. So you could have three or four or five. In fact, in one excavation, they found 12 shelves um, in there. By the New Testament time, things had progressed a little bit. Um, because what they would do then is they would put them in what we call ossuaries, little boxes, about two feet wide, um, about a foot high, like this, uh, often made out of limestone. And what they would do is they would prepare the body, they would put the body on the shelf. As the body decomposed, they would scoop up the bone, they would put it in the ossuary until the ossuary was full. So as we've done excavations in New Testament time, what they have found is they have found these ossuaries, these little boxes, and in some cases, what they did was they stamped on the top of the, uh, of the lids different things. They would stamp maybe their occupation. Sometimes they would stamp their name. Um, sometimes they would stamp symbols of things that were important to them. So by the time we get to the New Testament time, <clears throat> that's kind of what you have going on at that, at that point. Uh, a couple things to be aware of in the Jewish world. In the Jewish world, and it's even true today in, in really... Um, uh, Orthodox Jewish families, um, the body needs to be buried within 24 hours. Um, and that's very important in a Jewish world. Um, in the Jewish world, it was very important for a body to be buried. Um, and that, that you're, when we talk about Christ in a minute, you're going to understand the significance of, of, of why the tomb for Jesus. Um, in addition to that, um, in the Jewish world, um, it was, it was considered a shame to not be buried, okay? Um, so in other words, uh, to leave a body out, uh, to just say decompose on a cross, or often in crucifixion, a body was just thrown into a very, very shallow grave. Because um, in the Jewish world, um, somebody who, was, who had been uh, executed because of a crime uh, did not deserve a burial. Um, they were considered, if you will, trash or worthless, so we just throw them aside, uh, throw their bodies aside. So <clears throat> by the time we get to the Jewish world, um, by the time we get to the time of Christ, you need to understand that in Jerusalem, to have a tomb was very, very expensive. Um, <clears throat> it, became a, it became a big financial deal. Um, now, I don't want to rock your boat, but I want to be honest with archaeology and, and the Bible and history and all of that. Um, you should know there is some debate about whether or not the tomb of Jesus was a round stone or a square one. Okay? Um, and the reason I say this is because um, they have excavated about 900 burial sites around the time of Jesus in that period of time. 
Out of those 900, they have only found four round stones. And they were owned by extremely wealthy people. In one case, it was King Herod. In another case, it was a queen. So, um, and you go, well, doesn't the Bible say the stone was rolled away? The, the, the idea could also be moved, not just necessarily rolled like we think in English. <clears throat> so there's two ideas to that. One is that the word meant moved and it was a square stone. The other one is it was a round stone. And um, Joseph of Arimathea was incredibly wealthy, um, incredibly wealthy. Or just we haven't excavated the one that uh, we haven't excavated one where there was a round stone owned by a just an average person of wealth. Um, so uh, it doesn't rock your world. It doesn't change anything about the story and stuff like that. But it is interesting when you study the archaeology behind the burial of Jesus Christ. So I want to go to the story this morning with all of that in mind, and I want to talk a little bit about um, the burial because there are some lessons for us. Um, so let's start Luke chapter 23. Now, the end of the chapter, here's what it says. It says, now behold, there was a man named Joseph, a council member, a good and a just man. He had not consented to their decision. Indeed, he was from Arimathea, a city of the Jews, who himself also was waiting for the kingdom of God. Now, we get a ton of information about this guy. We're going to talk about him in a minute. This man went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. Then he took it down. Wrapped it in linen, found it, laid it in a tomb that was hewn out of the rock where no one had ever been before. Uh, in the Jewish world, you were not allowed to sell a used tomb. Um, once a body was laid in that, that now belonged to your family. Um, so apparently you could sell a new one. Um, but anyway, it says where no man had ever been. That day was the preparation and the Sabbath drew near going on. It says, and the woman, women who had come with him from Galilee followed after. And they observed the tomb and how his body was laid. Then they returned and prepared spices and fragrant oils. And they rested on the Sabbath according to commandment. So this is the, the, the story from Luke's account about the burial um, of Jesus Christ. A couple of things. Let's talk about Joseph. Joseph was from Arimathea. Um, he had to be an incredibly wealthy man. He, in order to own a tomb this close, he, he had some substantial money. Um, in addition to that, he was a member of the council, the Sanhedrin. It, it's very clear that when they decided to crucify Christ, he was not part of that decision for whatever reason. I think it was because it, they purposely did this with people who they only knew would say yes, because it had to be a unanimous decision. And so he wasn't part of that decision, but he was a secret. John actually says he was a secret disciple. We'll talk about the significance of that in a second. Um, but what's interesting is Joseph's name is mentioned in all four Gospels. Um, so this guy, what he did carried some weight with all of the other Gospel writers that it needed to be mentioned. Even Mark mentions it, which is unique because Mark just only hits highlights. So he's mentioned with all of them. He's a member of the Sanhedrin. And one of the things that, that, that he does is he actually goes to Pilate and asks for the body of Jesus. Now, you've got to think about this for a second. Because here's a question. What's that going to do with all the Sanhedrin buddies? 
See, if you're a secret disciple and you now go against all of the Sanhedrin, all of the people that you're on a group with, and ask for the body of Jesus from Pilate, who didn't like the Jews anyway, this is a bold move. This is incredibly courageous for a guy like this to do. And what's interesting is he goes and he asks for the body of Jesus. The, and then the text tells us that he is the one who goes and takes it down. Now, I just want you to think about this for a second. This is somebody who is a person of honor and dignity and refined and has some clout in the Jewish world. And he is now going to go and physically take down the body of Jesus Christ. And by the way, it's interesting. When you look at the gospel accounts, he has a helper. Anybody know who the helper is? Nicodemus. John chapter 3. And Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus go and they take down the body of Christ. They take it off of the cross. Um, Normally what they would have done is they would have wrapped the body in linen cloth and they would have wrapped it in spices. Um, On one account, somebody estimated it could be as much as 75 pounds of spices that they would cover. Again, the body's going to decay. It's going to stink. So the idea is let's put that off as long as we can. Um, Because again, you know, if if you've got a couple of bodies in there, it, it just helps. But again, there's been no body in this tomb because it's a, it's a new tomb. Um, so he and Nicodemus, because the Sabbath is coming, have to do this pretty quick. So they take the body down of Jesus. They walk over and they, they put it in the tomb. They wrap it up as best as they can. They put it in the tomb. And then, you know, I don't, I don't want to make a joke of it, but I want you to understand I see a little bit of the irony and the humor in it, is we have some women following And what are the women doing? They're checking on the job that Nicodemus and and, uh, and, uh, Joseph have done, and they realized they didn't do it right. We can do better. Um, And so they make preparation. They figure, okay, they did this wrong. We need to do this. This would be nicer to do this. Um, And so they go, and literally when you read the other accounts, what you find out is on the morning of the resurrection... They wait until the markets are open, they buy some more stuff, and then they make their way to the, to, to the tomb. We'll talk about that uh, next week. But that's the story that, that, that we read as far as the, the burial of Jesus Christ. They then seal the tomb. Um, and you know from other accounts that, you know, uh, they're going to come along and, and, and suggest that uh, they're going to steal the body of Jesus, so they put a Roman seal on it. Um, and they put soldiers in front of it. You know, they want to make sure this thing is solid. Nothing's going to happen here. Now, unfortunately, today, when we end our service, we're going to leave Jesus in the tomb. Okay? Fast forward next week. He ain't there. Okay? He came out. All right? But for this morning, I want us to talk about this idea of the burial of Jesus Christ and the lessons for it. The other thing that you should understand is that there's a lot of, um, okay, I, I, I debate on whether or not to go here. I'm going to go here just because of the group that we have, and it's non-denominational, so let me cover it. There's some of you who have been around church for a whole long, long, long time. I want to talk to you for about two minutes. For some of you that this is all new, you get to unplug, okay? Uh, you get to unplug for two minutes. Don't get lost in all this. Um, this is just to, to hash out some stuff. There's a big question about what Jesus does during those three days. In the tomb. 
Um, if you are familiar with any of the um, uh, creeds in churches, the Apostles' Creed, the Nicene Creed, some of the other creeds, um, they teach that, um, many of them teach that Jesus descends into hell for three days. Um, there's all kind of speculation about, you know, um, what he does during that time period. Um, I, I, um, I, I've looked at the passages, I know the passages, um, we can debate it, and it's a lot of fun. Um, and you can study the history of it. Um, actually, I wrote a master's paper on this, so um, it's... Uh, 20 pages of, I want, I can't go to sleep. Okay, this will help. Um, but um, anyway, so, so you know, I, I kind of studied how all this came about. But um, I'll just give you a quick rundown for me, just from where I am. Um, I think that Jesus goes down to Abraham's bosom. He sets the captives free. He brings them to heaven with him. Um, I think he makes a declaration to Satan about um, what uh, his fate is uh, showing him. Personally, now I'm going to start step into my drama world. Here's what I think happened. The Bible doesn't say any of this. This is all pure speculation on my part. Okay, got that? I think Jesus walks into the throne of heaven with his blood, presents it to God and says, it's done. And all of heaven spends time rejoicing. Um, and as a proof of the fact that God accepted that sacrifice, Jesus comes out of the tomb on Sunday morning. That's my theory. Okay, those of you who unplug, plug back in. All right, um, what he did those three days, no, not, that, not important to us this morning. The issue is that he was buried and some lessons for us. First lesson, it's never too late to come to God. When you go back, and if you've never read the story of John chapter 3, or it's been a while, go back today or sometime this week and read John chapter 3. John chapter 3 is about a, a leader, a religious leader of the day who comes to Jesus and says, what do I need to do to be saved? And John chapter 3 is Jesus' explanation of the new birth. The most famous passage that we're all familiar with, John chapter 3, verse 16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever should believe in him should not perish but have everlasting life. That passage comes out of the story of Nicodemus. That, that verse is in context of telling Nicodemus how to come to God. What's interesting in John chapter 3 is we don't know what Nicodemus decides. We don't have any idea. We walk away from John chapter 3 going, what did Nicodemus do? Till we get to the gospel account of the burial, and we find who's standing there with Joseph, but a guy by the name of Nicodemus. You see, I don't care what you've done, and I don't care what your past, and I don't care what other people say. You need to understand God's invitation is for anyone who wants to come. For God so loved the world. That's everybody. You, me, everybody. Christ died on the cross for all of us. You know, you don't understand. You know, my past, I mean, if I became a Christian, nobody would believe me. And they would, uh, look, it's not about your past. It's about your present relationship with God and your future relationship with God. Let God take care of all of that. 
let God do it. And here's a guy who, in John chapter 3, is very, very cautious about coming to Jesus because he doesn't want anybody to know because he's a leader and, he, and people think a certain way of him and they found out that he went to a rabbi? Ooh, that was bad. He went to talk to Jesus, who's not part of the system? Oh, no, 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 no. And this guy Joseph, who's a secret disciple of Jesus, I don't know how you do that, but he did it, all of a sudden now has to come to a point where he has to take a stand. And he decides to not just take a stand, but take this incredibly bold stand. And he, he, he has this incredible boldness to be able to go to Pilate and say, hey, look, I want to take his body. And you need to understand, in the Roman system, a crucified criminal had no right to a burial. What they would do is they would go out and they would dig a little ditch. They would take the bodies down. They'd throw them all in the ditch and they'd throw dirt over it and they'd move on. They would put a marker or anything there. Why? Because they were a criminal. They didn't deserve a proper burial. And Jesus, all of a sudden, Joseph of Arimathea comes in and says, I want his body. I want his body. And apparently Nicodemus had to be close because he takes Nicodemus and he says, will you give me a hand? And you need to understand, this would not have been a pleasant thing to do. This would have been incredibly gruesome. This would have been incredibly difficult. To lay a ladder up against a cross, to be able to pull the arms off of the nails, to be able to drape it over your shoulder or to be able to, to hoist it down. And then to be able to clean it up the best you can because you're under a time crunch. To be able to put some spices on it and wrap it up and try to get it to a tomb as quickly as you could because Sabbath is coming. And we can't work on the Sabbath. And again, these are Jewish leaders, so they knew what the Jewish laws were. And Nicodemus and Joseph are working as diligently as they can to do this incredibly messy, ugly job. But this person, Jesus, was so important to them that they wanted to give him a dignified burial. And Joseph does it at a great cost. That's the other thing you see here. Because you see, this tomb was already made. This tomb was, you know, it's like, nobody had used this tomb. He had had it built for his family. This was the family heritage. I mean, this was the family tomb. And you're going to give it away? Because you've got to understand, can you imagine going to your family and going, hey, by the way, uh, I gave our tomb away. We're going to have to go get another one. We're going to have to not have another one made. Because you think anybody in that family is ever going to want to be buried in there again? I mean, you just gave away, it, it would be like you inheriting your farm and then just giving it away. I mean, how would your family react? You know, you go, well, why did you give it away? Well, there was a need, and I just gave it all away. And they would be ready, they would be, they would be ready to shoot you. And yet, he takes the family tomb and gives it away, not to somebody who's important to the family, to a crucified criminal in the minds of everybody else. And so he does this incredibly bold thing and goes up and asks. For the body of Jesus. That would have taken, and that's, this is the second thing you learn in this story, an incredible amount of courage to do that. 
Because now all of his Sanhedrin friends are going to want nothing to do with him because they're the ones who voted to crucify him. And you turned around. Our whole job, our whole job as a Sanhedrin was to dishonor him in front of everyone. And you came along and gave him an honorable, respectable burial. You came along, and by the way, remember when I said that it was important that, you, that in the Jewish world to be buried close to family? Where's Jesus' family? Nazareth, Galilee, it's way up there. There's no way the body's getting up there. So Joseph here makes this incredible sacrifice and this incredible courage to go in and say, I want his body. And he's saying to all of his Sanhedrin friends, you were wrong. I want to honor this man. And he's saying to all of the people who are following the Sanhedrin, the grand Hayu Makamak leaders of the spiritual world and the Jewish community, and he's saying to all of them, I don't want any part of what you just did. I'm going to honor this man because this man should be honored. Incredible amount of courage. Incredible amount of sacrifice to be able to take Jesus. And so they do the best job they can. And it's a messy, ugly job. And they wrap the body up as best as they can. And then the last part of it, and I don't want you to miss this. There's a bunch of women off in the distance who are watching this. And they decide that, you know what? We want to do something. We want to do something. I mean, we can't physically go up and take his body down. Um, we want to do something. And so they realize because of the pressing need of the time and the, 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 the immediate thing to get the, the, the body in the, in the tomb. And they follow along and they get closer and closer. And so when they finally get that body laid in on the shelf, the women go in and they look at everything and they go, okay, you know what? We could do this and this and this. And this would be a little bit nicer, you know. Okay, we're going to need these spices and these oils. Do you have this? No. Do you have that? No. I got that. Okay, okay. Okay, let's go. Okay, then here's our shopping list on Sunday morning. We'll get these couple of things. We'll get to the tomb. We'll finish this thing. And we will honor him the way he should be honored. And that's what they do. And they come on Sunday morning not, not, not expecting a risen Savior. They come on Sunday morning expecting to prepare a dead body. And you have to understand that what these women, and this is what I love about this story... They said, we're going to do what we can do. We, we don't have the money of Joseph of Arimathea. We can't do what Joseph and Nicodemus did. Well, you know what? We can do this. And so we're going to go in and we're going to do our part. We're going to do what we can do. And I think that's the great lesson for us. So I see three lessons in this story. I see the idea from Joseph and the idea from Nicodemus that, you know what? It's not too late to come to Christ. And it's not too late to allow God to use your life. And these guys who, quiet, secret disciples, we don't know what's going to happen with John and John 3. We don't, we don't see what's going to happen with Nicodemus. All of a sudden we come to the end of the life of Christ. And there's two shining examples of people who said, you know what, I am going to follow Christ no matter what. And I'm going to turn my back on everything that I need to turn my back on because I'm going to do what I can to honor this man. I think you see an incredible amount of courage. I understand. I, I've, been in the, I've, been in, I've been in rural Iowa enough to get this. A lot of, you know, it used to be two things you don't talk about, 
religion and politics. Well, the politics thing just kind of got shot all to pieces because, you know, everybody talks about politics. Everybody's got an opinion, and, and usually they put it on Facebook. But, I mean, everybody's got an opinion, you know, um, on the politic thing. But, boy, the religion thing. You know, we're just so worried. And, and, and I don't care if you're on the conservative or the liberal. And can I just say this? I find extreme conservatives and extreme liberal people, they don't care what we think. They're just flat out bold. Bold to the point that they don't even care if they offend us. They're going to be bold. And I step back and I go, what happened to us? That we're so afraid that we won't speak up. What happened to us that we're so afraid we're intimidated to even ask somebody to come to church with us? Or we're, we're so intimidated we're afraid to even ask people about their soul. What's happened to us? And I think there's a great lesson with Joseph, or with, with Joseph here. He doesn't care. He walks boldly into, into, into Pilate's off, uh, whatever and says, I have a request. I want the body of Jesus. And Pilate, Pilate's against Jesus. The Sanhedrin are against Jesus. Everybody's against Jesus. And personally, you know why I think Pilate let him have it? Because he knew it would tick off the Sanhedrin. He just knew it was a way to rub, rub it into him. Because remember, what happens, they, they make the inscription over the cross and they come to him and say, oh, hey, we want that change. We want that change. And what does he say? What's written is written. I ain't changing it. He had no love loss between causing problems here. But yet, Joseph is bold enough to go in with the courage to say, this is what I want. No more am I going to be a secret disciple. No more am I going to hide in the shadows. Nicodemus, we don't know what happens. All of a sudden, Nicodemus is like, you know what? I'm willing to go up, put a ladder up, take him, take him off the cross. I'm ready to get all, all messy to prepare a body to put it in a tomb. And I'll help you, Joseph. I'll help you. And I think it's significant that these men have the courage to do that. And I would just say this, Jesus had the courage to go to the cross for us. Is it really that hard for us to open our mouth about him this week? I mean, really? We're going to put it in context? We're going to put it in context? I, 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 you, speak it, you speak the truth in love, but the key is you speak the truth. And I think some of us were just so afraid and I don't know why. I don't know why we let Satan do that to us. And I just want to encourage you this week to be bold. To stop hiding behind it and let people know, you know what, here's, here's what I am. And here's what I believe. And I'd love to have you go to church with me. Think about it for a minute. How many of you are here? I don't know to raise your hand, but how many of you are here because somebody opened their mouth? So why don't we want to do that for others? Why don't we want to have the same boldness that we see from a Joseph? And then the other thing is this. Everybody can do something. You go, you know, oh, I'm not bold like, you know, I can't be bold like Joseph. I mean, good night, I don't even, you know, it's like me. You know, people, and, and, and again, Everybody has their own way of worship, okay? You know, and I have, friend, I have friends who are like, eh, you know, you'd think they're at a, like a B 
big, huge uh, Super Bowl game, you know, cheered on their team. And that's the way they are. And if they go to one of those Super Bowl games, I don't want to be anywhere near them. Okay? Because they're just, and that's not me. It's never been me. It will never be me. Um, I, that's just not me. I believe that every sporting event should be like golf. When they hit the ball, we go. And we hold up a quiet sign. And then they hit the ball and we go. And that translates everywhere in my life. I don't get I, very little things. Do I get rah-rah, hippie-eye, excited about? That's just me. And some of you are like that. I get that, okay? You're like me, you know. And, and so for some of you, you come into church and you, you think church ought to be like golf. And you're like, awesome, I get you. I'm in your corner, okay? We're good. But even those people can do something. You may never get up here and speak. You may never get up here and sing. You may never get up here and do something. But you know what? You can do something. You can find a way to serve God. You can find somebody in your community. You can find somebody in your world who you can have a ministry to. Uh, my mom is finally looking at retiring. And so we talked about it last week. And over and over again, I told her the same thing. I said, Mom, I said, you need to go find something where you are helping somebody two to three times a week. I said, you still have your health. You still have the ability to do that. She goes, yeah, a lot of my friends can't. I said, great. Then you go and you take them to the store. You go do something two to three days every single week. Because I said, the worst thing you can do in retirement, talk to you older people now, is make retirement about you. Because as a Christian, my life should never be about me. It should always be about serving and ministering to others. And so I told her, I said, you know, you need to go find something. I said, I'm not saying you don't enjoy retirement. You know, she gets up at 4 o'clock right now every morning to go to work. Five days a week. I said, you know, you can probably sleep in to like 5. No. I said, you know, you can sleep in. But the point is this, and this is the point. The point is we're here to minister to other people. You can find something to do to have a ministry to somebody around you. You can serve in little ways. It may not be like a Joseph of Arimathea where you're able, to, you're able to go make this huge purchase and do this huge thing. It might be a simple thing where you go, you know what, let's figure it out. Okay, you know what, I've got this much spice at home. I'll bring this if you'll bring that. And we'll, okay, so we'll just bring spices on Sunday morning. We'll meet here and we'll get this all taken care of. A big part of the story. And it's like Aaron will tell you what the Papatar church has learned. When everybody pitches in a little bit, it's amazing how God uses it. We have watched that here. This building got built because everybody just said, you know what, I can't do this or that and that, but I can go do this. And a whole bunch of people pitched in. The kingdom of God is no different. Someplace this week, God has you to serve and minister and do something. And it may be a little thing, but I like what I've... I, when I, got into, when I got into rural ministry, I really struggled because I came from a bigger, better, you know, you know I, my church in high school had 4,000 people. We had a youth group of 500 kids. We had our own building, okay, as teenagers. That's my world. So I struggled with, you know, at the time when I was out there, it was like 50 people, you know, and you struggle with that. And you know what I learned? 
In God's sight, there are no little places. And that stuck with me. In God's sight, there are no little places. And I had a guy that H.B. London uh, wrote a book, and it impacted my life probably more than uh, one statement in that probably impacted my life in a tremendous way here. And here's what he said. Bloom where you're planted. Bloom where you're planted. Do what you can. God has you planted this week in somebody's life. Bloom. Be courageous. Open your mouth like God used you. It's a big thing. Little things make a difference. Little things make a difference. And I just want to encourage you. So as you head into this Easter week, okay, as you head into this week of focusing on the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, remember, it's never too late to come to God. Remember that as a Christian, you need to be courageous. And as a Christian, you need to do whatever you can do this week, no matter how small, no matter how insignificant you may think it is, and allow God to use it. So I end this morning very simply with this idea. The burial of Christ reminds us that anyone can come to God at any time, as long as we're still alive here. Being a Christian requires a boldness, and God expects us to be bold, because he was. And we're reminded that everyone can do something to honor and serve God. And that is our ultimate goal every single day we live. Let's pray. Lord, use it. Lord, it is still mind-boggling to us that you would love us. Even more mind-boggling, Lord, is what you went through so that we could have eternal life. And Lord, for those who may still be searching and struggling and trying to figure it out, Lord, would you help them to understand that you have done everything. They just need to put their faith and trust in you alone. Bring them to that point. Help them to understand the hope that is in Christ, the forgiveness of sins, the removal of guilt. Uh, Encourage them, Lord. Help them to come to that point. Lord, for the rest of us, may we be bold and may we serve you this week, Lord, whether it be a good thing or whether it be a little thing. When we come to the end of each day, may we be able to look back and see ways that you used us to glorify you. These things we ask in your name. Amen.